Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the 12th Cast. I'm Jake Kirshner, your host, and with me today is Chloe Knollenberg. Chloe is a college student and uh, a ministry leader extraordinaire turned everyday ordinary mission, missionary. I don't know if that's fair to say, Chloe, but I kind of hey. like saying that. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to go back to season one and listen to Chloe's story, you can hear a little bit of more about that journey that she's been on. Uh, but Chloe, glad to have you here. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining fun. in. Yeah, of course. Uh, if you're just joining the 12 cast, um, you don't know Chloe yet, but <laughs> Chloe, what, what I love about Chloe is she can bring both the, pra the practical side of what it means to be an everyday ordinary missionary who's on this journey of prioritizing 12 others like Jesus did, but then also has a great mind for um, giving feedback and maybe pushing back a little bit and saying, well, what about this? And what about that? So Chloe, uh, we're, we're, I, I love having you to talk through these things. And so um, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule of being at school, like you're at school right now, trying yeah. to figure out how to be on the podcast. So thanks so much. Uh, yeah. Great to have you. Of course. Um, so you and I have been discussing a little bit. And last time uh, when, when Scott was on with us, we talked about our, our journey of understanding what discipling is. What, is. what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to do discipleship? Um, and that process of understanding discipling has been at times maybe confusing. At times, as you look back, it's like for me and for others too, like, well, wait a second, is that, were we off? Were we wrong? Are we doing it wrong? And sometimes it's like, well, no, we weren't doing it wrong then, but like, we can't keep doing it that way. Um, and so that journey, we talked about this in season or uh, episode one. And so we're going to kind of continue that journey. And today I want to talk about what, what if we didn't have this word discipling? What if we didn't have discipleship? And really, that's not that far off from what we have because there's no real, I mean, outside of Christianity, who's using the word disciple? Right. right. I mean, not too many places. Uh, when you, if you heard somebody say, Hey, I'm a disciple of so-and-so you'd be like, are you in a, are you in a cult? Like, what are you, what are you doing? I mean, outside of following Jesus, there's not too many people saying I'm a disciple of, or I do discipling and people would. So, so we have this kind of like, we're kind of caught in a little bit of a, uh, contextual translation issue where it's like, well, what words could we use? So let's just pretend for a second uh, in the bonus episode, uh, which you haven't seen yet, Chloe, I don't think the bonus episode of season one kind of threw it in there. Um, talk a little bit about this game, Mad Libs. Do you remember Mad Libs, Chloe? I do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, Ooh, elementary school is probably the last yeah. time. I yeah. One. Where you fill in the blank. Right. And <laughs> so like, what if we had to fill in the blank translation wise for this, this Jesus mandate, this go in, uh, instead of saying making disciples or go and disciple the nations. What if we didn't have this word disciple? What words could we use there? Because disciple is a relationally centric word. It is a uh, discipleship. It's, it's all based on relationship. It's all based on context. And the constant context Jesus came from, like, we just don't have that. We don't have that kind of relational context that we can really put one for one. So it's almost like we have to take multiple words to try to figure it out. So I thought it'd be fun to be like, well, let's plug in this word. Yeah. Would that word work? And, and, and we can go back and forth a little bit and say, well, that doesn't work, Jake. And any Bible verses or uh, stories or scripture that comes to mind, you say you're like, yo, yeah, I see Jesus doing that. Or well, that's a little bit of a stretch. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll jump right in. I like the word coach. Like the more I think about the word coach, so if we if we translate it into there, it's a go and coach all the nations, baptize and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Um, if you're not familiar with those those words, if you're tuning in, 
Uh, traditionally, it's called the Great Commission. We, we like to call it the Jesus Mandate. Last words of Jesus, uh, written about by this guy, Matthew. Jesus says these things. So, like, he gives us command. So, if, if I said to you, Chloe, hey, go and coach the nations. Like, first of all, would you understand what I'm saying? And then second, as a follower of Jesus, would you be able to say, oh, yeah, I see Jesus doing that. Like, what's your first response when you hear that word coach? Yeah, I think coach encapsulates one facet of discipleship, yeah. in my opinion, because kind of when I view discipleship, I see it almost as a twofold thing. So I see um, it in an occupational sense, almost like because there are other people. I think you um, were writing this in the description somewhere, um, but we saw people who were taking on basically students, right? Like bringing them up, training them. Um, and, you know, obviously Jesus did that with his disciples in a ministry context, but we also saw people doing it in like uh, trade professions, you know, almost apprenticeships, so to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But- occupational setting, but then we also see it in a relational setting. So I think coaching really hits on the more so occupational side of it. Now, you know, I mean, I, I grew up playing sports. I think you played mm-hmm. sports too, right, Jake? Mm-hmm. So we obviously know that the best coaches are able to tackle both of those things, the, mm-hmm. you know, the actual task oriented, um, coaching, you know, coaching aspect. And then we also have, um, sort of like a mentorship, like someone mm-hmm. we can up to and we want to model our behavior after in whatever context that may be um but just if we're going based off of like a pure um dictionary definition i would say it definitely tackles more of an occupational portion of relationship than more so of the relational aspect yeah no that's good yeah coaching at least in the ways that we use it I, i mean if we have the webster's dictionary version and then like, well, how do people use the word coach? I think either way, you're right. It's very occupational. It's very task oriented towards a performance. If you want to call it sports or job, you know, we have life coaches. I mm-hmm. guess that's towards the performance of life. I don't know what that is a hundred percent, but um, so you have life coaching, you have executive coaching, you have career coaching, you have sports coaching. So you have all those things, but yeah, definitely very geared towards those uh, specific performance uh, oriented things. So, um, and it's instruction, it's feedback, it's it's correction for a specific application or action. Um, I'm afraid I may have lost you, Chloe. So. Okay. I, I still, so I hear you, but I don't see you. I can edit this out. So you're still there, right? Yes, I am. Okay. It's just the, it's just the video that's cutting out on my side. Okay. okay. We'll just pretend that doesn't happen and I'll, I'll just keep moving next time too through that. So, um, you know, so I think you're, you're right. I think you like, you're right. When you say too, like the best coaches are people who do both the task and the relational side, um, that are being a model that are doing those things. So, all right. So if we see Jesus, but that's not necessarily how we always use it, right? That's only the best, but like, if everybody's kind of universal, uh, understanding of coach as close to universal as we could get uh, in our context, it's going to be very performance and action driven. So, but do we see Jesus coaching? Like, where do you see Jesus coaching? I, I, I think of the, the the first one that came to mind for me was when the, the the disciples go to Jesus and say, "Hey, can you teach us to pray?" And they use the word "teach" there. That's at least how it's translated. But maybe maybe you could say, "Hey, coach us to pray. Hey, teach us how to do this performance." Like in their mind, it's not that it's a performance, but it's an action. And they're like, hey, give us feedback. Give us a little bit of a model. Uh, Correct us on our prayers because we don't quite know how to get it. So that was one that came to mind for me. Like, yeah, Jesus does do some coaching type things. 
Uh, anything's come to mind for you where you see Jesus coaching the way that we use the word coach? Yeah, I mean, there's so much that we could pick from scripture. I mean, there's, I think Jesus, I mean, arguably the best teacher. I mean, I'm an education major and we yeah. look at Jesus as a model for yeah. how how we should teach and how we instruct. I would say too, we also see maybe more so the coaching aspect. Um, I see it more with like Jesus preaching to the crowds and things like some of the more traditional ways that we see coaching uh. being did. Um, you know, I, it's tough because we don't get to see a ton of specific dialogue, I think, between Jesus and the disciples. Like, we don't necessarily know those typical interactions, like the uh. every interactions. Um, and obviously we can assume that they had them because Jesus spent most of his time with um, his disciples and everything. And we see this typically like portrayed in the, the series, The Chosen. You know, we, we see more of this instructional um, mm-hmm. thing. No specific, uh, I guess, pieces of scripture come to mind because I, yeah. I more of the instructional piece in some of the bigger examples that we see, yeah. um, like uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. I think that's probably yeah evident example of instruction yeah. from a coaching perspective that we see. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you talk about the teaching aspect because it's, uh, I, I, I think many of us use coaching and teaching. There's a little bit of overlap. And then at least in my experience, and I, this is changing now, I think teaching, uh, teaching is changing from the approach and philosophy a little bit away from the traditional um, instructional, somebody up front. And so you do have a little bit of this like coaching and teaching overlap quite a bit. Um, and, and and especially like you say, like teaching can have that very, uh, very like, hey, I'm going to tell you the expertise that I know, or I'm going to tell you these things, this wisdom and share these things with you. Uh, and coaching can have that too, right? I mean, why is a coach a coach? Because he's an expert on something, you know, um, mm-hmm. or they are an expert, he or she is an expert on something. So um, teaching for me has always had very academic mindset for me. You know, when I hear the word teacher, I just think academics, I think classroom, I think lecture hall. Uh, I think people taking out notes and writing things down, very intellectual. Um, in coaching, I think of, and maybe you're already hitting on this, like I think of less intellectual and more of um, uh, action-oriented kind of things. So uh, and like you said, the, when those things are both together, and that's where the word discipleship, I mean, really, if you're like, well, discipling is coaching and teaching, right? And so maybe that's like, <laughs> go and coach and teach, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we had to use the words, it's it's why we're struggling with discipling. It's like, well, we don't quite capture it all. And coaching's not going to capture it all. Teaching's not going to capture it all. Um, I was I was thinking about another experience that Jesus has with his disciples where he um, where they, he sends out, and I think it's the 72 at the time, I'd have to go back and check where he sends out the 72 and I don't know this, he sends out the 72 to go like cast out demons and to preach. Mm-hmm. And they come back and they're like, Hey, we did these things. He's like, awesome. Just be glad your, your, your names are written in the book of life. Like there's a little like correction that happens there. Like, yeah, you did it. High five. Encourage you keep doing it. And here's the perspective you need. Uh, and then another time he, the disciples try to cast out a demon and they can't do it. And Jesus comes and says, well, it's cause you don't have the prayer and fasting part down. You, this, mm. this, this only happens when you have prayer and fasting. And so there's this like very tangible teaching, coaching happening uh, as this stuff is taking place. And to me, that's the coaching piece, right? It's like, 
teaching can kind of sometimes be removed from the the practical it's happening tangibly right now and coaching is kind of like well i'm seeing this and i'm going to talk about it right now um you know and, and and jesus did teach in the synagogues he went into the synagogues more you had mentioned um you know in jesus time ancient near east they had rabbis they had people teaching in the synagogues they had schools both in greek tradition and uh, jewish tradition that somebody would come and kind of learn a little bit more traditionally but i think I think they also had a little bit more of like, don't just learn the intellectual, the yeah. imagination side. You're also learning like how to be like that person, which we, mm-hmm. we lose a little bit of that now. Like, sure, there's some teachers I want to model and emulate, but, mm-hmm. you know, most of the time I'm just like, well, tell me the information and I'll take the test. Right. And so uh, we missed some of that. So I kind of rambled there for a second. What, what's on your mind? Yeah, no. And even when you just mentioned the word correction, that made me think a lot about how a lot of... um examples in scripture, we see people going up and asking Jesus, kind of trying mm. to trip up with some of the Old Testament, right. uh, you know, to see if he's actually being in line with scripture. And right. it, you know, I, I don't remember what passage is. That's like, I'm not here to replace the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. Yeah, I think it's so funny. I think coaching's the one I totally struggled with the most when <laughs> you like, I'm like, I live <laughs> That's funny. Oh my goodness. That's okay. Um, mm. I like that you said that though, because um, the, I, I, I think what, what the, uh, the struggle for me is um, when I, when I have experienced someone coaching me and, and when I was at um, a, a church that you're familiar with that I, that's where I met your dad and where you, you know, where you first grew up following Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. Coaching was like the way it was the way of leadership development that, that the church had. It was, uh, you coach, so you, you observe and you listen a little bit. And then when somebody has a problem or a struggle, you kind of speak into it. And if, and if they don't have a problem or struggle, you're trying to say like, Hey, have you thought about this? Or did you mm-hmm. think about approaching this problem this way? So coaching can have a little bit more of a, oh come, you know, like a wait and see what's happening. You're kind of waiting for a problem, waiting for a challenge. And I guess if you look at the life of Jesus, that does kind of happen where Jesus kind of waits, like you said, like people, he's waiting for people to come and talk to him. And then he says these things. When it comes to his disciples, though, these these 12 people he's trying to prioritize, um, it's very similar where he waits for them to say something and then then addresses the, the problem or gives that correction. Um, I think, Coach, though, too, because, like you said, it's it's oriented towards sports and occupation for the most part it can get kind of muddled in that, right? Where it's like, well, this isn't just about vocation. This is about everyday ordinary stuff. So mm-hmm. definitely get that that piece of that too. So did you find what you were looking for? I, oh my goodness, I'm still struggling. That's okay. I, I just think of in the general sense of how there were so many questions that people had where they were trying to trip up Jesus with something. Mm-hmm some of um, the Old Testament scripture that we see. And we see how Jesus is saying, well, yes, this is true, but it's also like an and, like there's an additional. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a little bit of correction, maybe um, a shift in focus, I should say, maybe from more mm-hmm. some of the, the legalistic practices we see in the Old Testament to now more of the relational piece in the yeah. New Testament. Yeah. And I, you know, I think when you say that, it makes me realize like using the word coaching, not that we would ever try to replace the word disciple, but if you did with the word coach, 
you bring up a great, great point that it becomes so pragmatic almost, mm-hmm. and that pragmatism could lead to a uh, a very religious practicing of this. Did you do this right? Did you do this right? Hey, you're not quite, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about coaches in a traditional sense, you know, they're, they're, they're not aiming for, for perfection per se, mm-hmm. but kind of, right? That's what they're coaching towards. They're to- coaching towards um, at least a higher level of productivity and progress. And what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, somebody reaching potential, right? And if you find the best person, their potential is perfect. And so mm-hmm. I could see that that hang up of like, man, yeah, you can't, you got to be careful with that word coaching because it could feel very uh, legalistic pretty quickly. Uh, you can get into that. So that's a great catch on that, I think. Very and good. I, and I think even sometimes with coaching, like we see sort of the shift where um, like when Pentecost comes and then people become empowered and equipped through the Holy Spirit versus like the physical person of Jesus. Like that was almost, that's almost what I more jump to when I think about coaching, like having the indwelling Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, I, yeah, the, the coaching one's tough for me for like Jesus specifically. Cause I feel like this word has become so used in a church con- like you said you know the church <laughs> like we grew up and everything coaching, yeah. coaching emphasized and yeah I, I have a yeah. tough I, I think I have a tough time with the word coaching honestly for this definition of discipleship yeah. there's something about it that doesn't feel yeah I don't know the Mad Libs isn't working for this one <laughs> well <laughs> that's I, I I wonder have you ever had a uh a coach that coached with discipleship as the priority. Mm. Have you ever been a part of a, and I wonder if that's a little bit of why I feel so strongly because Mm. I've had this, I've had this great coach uh, when I was in college, Christian school, Christian coach playing football, who like football was the excuse to disciple, right? It was like, I'll use this thing that every, you know, these, this group of people really enjoys and is into to help them understand what it means to follow Jesus. Um, and maybe that's why I have such a bent towards it. Like, well, yeah, cause I had a coach that discipled through coaching. Um, so not to say that you haven't, but I, I, it was such a strong thing for me that it just, it just resonates with me really strongly. Yeah. And I think I gravitate more towards the term mentor. I feel like that's what yeah. was a lot in my life. I mean, we literally we yeah. had a program called yeah. love, you know, um, yeah. where I, when I was in middle school, I had a, a high school, you know, mentor. I've had also mentors um, in the church that I'm at now, kind of more in a ministry context, like uh, with some of the more like task oriented, performance oriented yeah. aspects of ministry. So I think I almost gravitate towards mentor a little bit with co- yeah. Uh, coach. But I, yeah, I think those two are very interchangeable. Yeah. 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 Well, mentor, that's a good transition to mentor. Let's just throw that word in there. Go and mentor all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I'm commanded. Like mentorship definitely has that leaning towards if I'm mentoring somebody, I'm really thinking about wisdom and character. Yeah. There's some performance things. There's, Hey, there's just life stuff. That's hard to overcome conflict. You know, what should I do for a job? You know, that kind of like all that, that kind of, it, it, it broadens the idea of coaching kind of a, a lot further uh, than coaching does in within itself. So um, I mean, and you've had some strong mentors. I've had some strong mentors as well. Um, 
and it makes me think, yeah, there's, there's, there's very few things that are kind of off the table when you're being mentored by somebody who's doing it from a Christ-like posture. Mm-hmm. Um, so where, where do we see Jesus? I mean, is it the same passages that we would say, well, yeah, you call it coaching and I call it mentoring, or would you see, oh, I see Jesus, especially with his 12, when he's prioritizing his 12, I see mentorship happening here. Anything come to mind for you where you're like, yeah, or, or even through Paul in the early church where it's like, this is clearly mentorship happening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would tend to gravitate more towards Paul in the early church specifically. Yeah. With I actually just did, um, before I left for school, I, uh, I, was, I was middle school director at my church and everything. And so I sometimes come back and teach dur- you know, during the summer. Um, and I was talking about to so these middle schoolers, like having or the importance of having a mentor. And we talked about, you know, Paul and Timothy. And, and we were talking about uh, the passage where, you know, Paul was instructing Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you, you know, because you're young and be it, but be an example. Yeah. All believers, like he had someone, Timothy had someone that was, you know, walking with alongside him in three yeah. and then empowering him um, to go and address issues in uh, church. I think it was the uh, church in Ephesus. I w- if I want to don't quote me I think on that's that. Cor- I think that's correct. I, but yeah, yeah, yep. where there were issues with false teaching. So uh-huh. we saw that, you know, he was that Timothy was accompanying Paul, you know, in these travels, in his in his ministry, his missionary journeys. But then he was sent after that, after that. And I think that is probably the best example of mentorship uh-huh. that I towards um when we're talking yeah. about it in context yeah well mentorship does while you're talking i'm thinking mentorship carries with it a very um embodied model model that's built in whereas a coach you can have a coach who who understands a game or understands a process mm-hmm. and can help somebody else understand that but with mentoring you very much have this well i see that person embodying this thing that they're trying to teach me uh they've they uh, at least they've tried to do this thing and maybe they failed or they struggle with it and so there is a definitely a higher level of relational alongside of that um expertise that's there too and maybe expertise comes because they're older they're wiser maybe it comes because they've experienced a certain thing that you look at and go i i am going through that i want to look at this person that's going to help me through that and for us when we're talking discipleship it's well, this person's been following Jesus. Maybe they've only been following Jesus for, you know, two more years than me, or yeah, I don't know. Maybe they've been following Jesus for less time than me, but that somehow they've gained something that I really desire to have too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is that like looking up towards and um, maybe further along in the journey, those kind of words that are happening with mentorship. That's good. I'm still trying to think of something to come to mind when it comes to how Jesus mentors Um I mean, obviously, it's all mentorship, really, if you look at it. But like, you know, where's that, you know, where's that kind of taking aside? And and really, when we talk about the three closest relationships he has, you mm-hmm. maybe see a little bit deeper level of mentorship happening. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I, you know, I guess I think about it when he tells the story. So he teaches the story of the um, this the um, the farmer with the seeds, um, and you know, tossing the seeds everywhere. And nobody seems to understand it. And then he kind of takes the disciples, takes the 12 aside and tries to explain it to them at a deeper level. Here's where you see, here's what this means. I'm going to, I'm going to take you into a little bit more intimate of a relationship. And then he does it even deeper with his three that he's a little bit closer with when he takes them uh, to different places, different retreats, different experiences, and kind of opens up things a little bit differently. So uh, that's good. Mentorship, I think is a good, it is a good one. I mean, 
there's a reason we use it when we talk about discipleship and say, hey, find a mentor, find, you know, that's going to disciple you. So, yeah, but even good. even if we're playing devil's advocate here, like there could be some maybe not issues with the word mentor, but I think some people might be a little bit apprehensive with that term, too, because if we're trying to encourage yep. everyday ordinary Christians yep. to, you know, to disciple others, well, mentorship and I think this is where I struggle with coaching too it almost has an authoritative connotation to it and a lot of people feel like that they're qualified to be mentoring or you like you said someone's only been a Christian for two years and they're talking to somebody who you know is a new believer and everything you know what what right do I have to coach mentor um someone when I don't feel like I have enough experience myself and really I mean we talked about discipleship um should be able to be done by anyone in any yep. context. Yep. So, you know, is, are the terms coaching and mentoring, like, are they almost I, too exclusive? Like, I think they hit on certain facets of discipleship, yep. but are they inclusive or, yep. uh, excuse me, in a sense. Yeah. So. Well, and I think what I, we're, we're getting right to the heart of it for me, which is the reason that discipling still the translation we have to use, uh, it, go and disciple the nations is because none of these words are are uh, sufficient in and of themselves. They all have a, a pretty big deficiency uh, and have some potential harm if you were to use those words. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, teaching is kind of the most common translation besides discipling, go and uh, teach the nations, um, which again, just falls a little short in our context. You know, in Jesus' context, obviously in those first probably 100, 200, 300 years, People probably were like, yep, get it. I got it. You know, I see teaching happening this way, this way, this way. Multiple ways teaching is used where, you know, it doesn't quite hit at all. So if we say coaches have some things that they do relationally in that relational dynamic that we could take some of that and say, yeah, that's what a good discipling person does. Oh, mentoring. That's even if I'm not, quote unquote, mentoring in the traditional sense, what a mentor does is how I need to disciple because I see Jesus doing it that way. Whether or not I'm going to label it as mentoring, fine, doesn't matter. But I see the actions taking place. I need to apply those actions. You know, this in teaching as well. Same thing for teaching. I see the actions of teacher in Jesus. I see I see this teaching that's happening. I'm going to take that when I do discipling with my twelve. Uh, I'm going to apply those same things. The the last one, not the last one, but another one for me, and and I this is one I kind of have gone back and forth in, is uh, parent. The word parent, parent mm-hmm. as a as an action, go and parent all the nations, which can be patronizing, which can be like I mean you could actually lose quite a bit there off right off the bat. I go oh I don't like that, but I see Jesus parenting his disciples, mm-hmm. and you referred to Paul, he refers to Timothy as a son. He says, my son, you know, and there, he builds this. Jesus more often talks to about disciples about uh, brothers and sisters. He said, who's good? My brother and my mother. He, he does a very familial thing, but he doesn't go to that place of, you know, I'm like a fatherly figure to you. Obviously, he's always talking about the father. Mm-hmm. But it just like I, I was like, man, I just don't see Jesus using that kind of language. Definitely doesn't use that language. I'm like, but does he do does he do what a parent does? Does he create boundaries for these newly forming people that he has in his care? Is he being authentic? Uh, you know, is he is he trying to 
discipline, you know, is he bring a certain level of discipline? Um, is he putting safeguards in place? Is there direction? Uh, you know, those kind of things that we think of. I mean, if we say parenting, what do we say when we mean parenting? You know, we, we talk about protection and provision most of the time is what parents do, but there's other aspects of parenting. So, you know, I, I, again, I hear, I hear Paul say my son, Timothy, and I think, well, okay, but, but did Jesus do that? Or is that just the context he's in? Is it because of their age? You know, maybe it's something different or does Jesus, does Jesus parent his disciples? Mm. I think, yeah, I think I mainly see this. What is it? Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. Is is that John 10? I believe Uh Um, that's probably because there's sort of a guidance aspect to that, like protecting, I protect my sheep from, mm-hmm. you know, danger, but they also mm-hmm. follow me because they know my voice. And like, there's mm-hmm. that relational aspect there as well. I think even when you said parent, the thing that I like about, and this might be like slightly, I, I don't want to say controversial in a sense, but um, parenting is in a sense, an obligation. Mm-hmm. right? And the great commission is not an optional thing for mm-hmm. believers. Like th- this is mm-hmm. a, Man, this is an instruction. It's not a suggestion. It's an instruction. It's a mandate for all believers. So it's it's a responsibility similar to how parents have responsibility over their children. So I think that's where I that's the facet of parent that I would say resonates the most with me. That yeah, this this uh, relational obligation uh, that's really strong there. You know, I, I when I was trying to do some research and figure out like where do we see it. What actually popped up in my research, which threw me, like, I just went, that's not what I, I didn't think I'd come across this, was actually the Last Supper is is one of the most parental things, yeah. fatherly things that Jesus does. Not not necessarily the washing the feet, but the the leading, the leading of that, um, that Passover meal. He mm. says to the disciples, hey, go and prepare it. I mean, these are things that the, that the the father or the the mother, the, whoever's kind of the leader of the household would be doing, uh, the parent of the household, maybe it'd be a grandparent in some cases, but like would be doing this action of saying, hey, we're gathering together. We're going to do this ritual. Uh, and the person leading it is typically that, that, that parent or grandparent that's like the head of that, that house. And so I was kind of like, wow, I just didn't even think about, I've never thought about that before, that when Jesus leads that, his disciples are looking at him as a, as a parental figure, as somebody that they're like, we're part of a new household mm. that, that he has been crafting and forming this, the, the covenant piece is the really strong piece, this covenantal household where he's leading through ritual and creating meaning and creating purpose in meals in of itself. I mean, if you just look at meals and say, well, that's what, I mean, meals were a part of, it's really the, the parental figure, the head of the household that would be kind of deciding how meals are run and kind of leading those meals. And so, I mean, we think about the prodigal son story, the father's the one that says, create a feast, right? And so when Jesus is eating with his disciples so intimately, that is a very parental thing to do, especially has his kind of role as a teacher too, if you throw that into it. So that threw me off. I was like, I was it really still, I'm like, I got to meditate on that more because that's never thought about that before. So, um, mm. but it was compelling to me. So yeah. that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, you know, and then to go through it a little bit more like that, that, like you said, that, that, that relational obligation 
And then there's probably some other ones too. So it's probably worth exploring to say, how, how what does it mean to be mm-hmm. parental towards the people you're discipling? Not to be, you know, yeah. I'm going to discipline you, but yeah, hey, I'm close enough with you relationally. I have this obligation to speak correction mm-hmm. to you. Uh, I think it is in Colossians where 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 um, the writer of Colossians is saying, hey, hide God's word in your heart, have it in your heart so that you can teach and admonish one another. Um, and so like it, the, the word of God is in your heart, the spirit of God's at work, and I'm going to teach and admonish. That's a very parental thing to do. And it says teach and admonish one another. So it's like this is expected that between each other, this inter, you know, this these relationships that we have that we're admonishing and teaching. That's a very parental thing to do. So, um, especially that admonishment part. So, um, all right, we'll give it a thumbs up on the, the parental thing. Let's let's throw let's throw one more in there. Uh, yeah. And, and, and the word for me is befriend because you can't say go and friend all the nations, but you could say go and well, I guess you could if you were taking Facebook as your yeah, as the action of friend, but. Um, Go and befriend all the nations, mm-hmm. teaching them baptizing. And, and the reason for me this is compelling is because when Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And so, mm-hmm. like, Jesus is moving towards friendship in his prioritization of these 12. And so, to me, I'm going, he's teaching us something about what friendship is, but he's also teaching us about how disciple disciple as a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I and maybe that's... Maybe it's just kind of like, well, yeah, of course, you know, you 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 develop friendship over time with people you're in relationship with. But mm-hmm. how? What does it look like to to disciple as friendship? I or, or or to befriend somebody and see that action as discipling. Yeah, I think I actually I like the term befriend, but I think it's important that we associate this in a biblical context because with mm-hmm. um, kind of the world's definition of friendship too, we see a lot of things that maybe aren't necessarily biblical. So I, I mean, yeah. my mind really jumps to um, the verse that talks about, so is iron sharpens iron, friend yep. sharpens and some other translations, brother sharpens brother, right? So there's yeah. almost this like mutual learning process where it's not just saying, you know, hey, I'm going to mentor you or coach you, but also understanding that we have things to learn from our 12 as well. Um, because it shouldn't be this, you know, this one-sided thing. I guess the only, uh, context I would struggle with this definition in would be for our Judas. Like, how do you, how do you, but I mean, Jesus was friends, you know, with (laughs) Judas before all this happened too. But I think our context, you know, we typically associate Judas, you know, as our enemy or someone we're trying to outreach to. So I think that's the only context that I would struggle with the word befriend. But if we're looking in, um, a biblical, I mean, you think about uh, when we talk about the context of biblical or godly friendships, right? Like it's this close relationship, yet we also admire our friends and see like, hey, this is somebody that I look up to and that's almost a role model, but we don't see it necessarily in an authoritative mm-hmm. context. And maybe that's more of a better context for us as everyday ordinary Christians. Cause like I said, we sometimes struggle with the whole yeah. Um, authority aspects or responsibilities that come from the roles of coaching or mentorship. Mm. So maybe Mm. maybe you're right. Maybe the biblical definition of friendship more encapsulates the everyday ordinary piece of just 12. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I'm I'm thinking about how um, there's this invitation and inclusion that happens in friendship Mm -hmm. that kind of moves away from 
uh, agenda driven. Like, even as you said, like we tend to think of a Judas as like a kind of, how do I, how do I help this person versus like, how do I, how do I just be in their life? How do I just love them well? And I mean, if we're talking, I mean, just 12 in this 12 cast here, it's all about prioritizing, uh, doing our best to love others like Jesus did. And so, you know, to love somebody with a hope of a hope of an agenda. I don't know if that makes sense, but like, Mm -hmm. I have a hope that these things are going to transform your life, but I am not going to force them or, or manipulate them to happen. And to see Jesus go, I mean, like Jesus could have stopped Judas and be like, Judas, no, seriously, don't leave. Right. Like (laughs) this is going to destroy you. Uh, And yet he invited him into the, into the meal, invited him even, I mean, he was participating. He was in participation at that meal and, you know, when the cup is going around, Jesus or Judas is gone. And so, like, there's an invitation and inclusion. And to see, uh, we've we've used this phrase before, and it's not ours, but it's somebody, I, somebody had a tattoo that said uh, Ju- Judas ate too. And it's like, that's right. Judas was there, right? Like, he ate too. He didn't get excluded. There was inclusion happening. So, um, you know, I, I, the one, the other compelling thing for me with friendship in a, in a biblical sense, is the authenticity, vulnerability piece. We see Jesus being so authentic and so vulnerable with his 12. I mean, they don't even understand how vulnerable he's being. <laughs> they're like, what do you mean you're going to die? You know, what are you talking about? Like, they're just very kind of clueless, but but Jesus is letting them in. And that brings me back to um, David and Jonathan's relationship as friends, where uh, there's a story, um, and I, I'd have to go look at where it's at, but there's a story about Jonathan uh, taking off his armor, um, basically shows, uh, to David, Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be in conflict with you. I'm not going to protect myself. I'm not going to try to harm you and come at you. I'm actually going to stay vulnerable in this relationship. And so that kind of friendship, um, authenticity, vulnerability, inclusion, and invitation, man, that kind of thing, that that's really compelling to me when we say, what does it mean to befriend the nations, to befriend my 12, to to befriend and keep being friends? How do I keep building this friendship? Yeah. Um, and you just even reminded me because you talked about um, not having with friendship. There's not as much this uh, agenda trying to be pushed and for, lack, you know, for lack of better words, because, you know, agenda, I guess, in the Christian context or evangelizing, like it's all it's all good sure. stuff. Yeah. You know, we- all the time like paying the relational rent like that we need to invest in people want to be part of their lives before um you know we really try to project any sort of ideology or any you know any sort of beliefs it makes me even think too when jesus raised lazarus from the dead right um I think it was let's see who told him this is john 11 so um it talks about Mary and Martha sending Jesus this message saying, you know, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. You know, they, they use that term friend Mm -hmm. and see Jesus even like, you know, he wept when Lazarus died, right? Mm -hmm. See this. And that was before he healed him as well. So see that he's being um, compassion, you know, or having this loving relationship with, with Lazarus and having, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, empathy, sympathy with Mary and Martha. Um, we see kind of the friendship piece being tackled before the ministry piece of going to heal him. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a model where that, that relationship that has to come first um, before, before maybe more of the ministry uh, piece. Yeah. Too. That's good. Yeah. That, that deep relational connection is the priority, right? It's, it's 
develop the relationship. And out of that comes both the desire to have action, but then maybe even the context for action. Like sometimes we don't have the context for what our action needs to be because we don't have the relational depth with people. And that's where people that we don't have that connection with get turned off by what they feel is the agenda, right? It's their perception of agenda because they're like, wait a second, we don't have that kind of relationship. What do you mean you you want me to do this or act this way or say this thing? Like, no. And then, but when we do have friendship, that deep relational connection, there's also a, at least in my experience, when I have a deep relational connection with somebody, I don't just desire to be close to them. I desire to be like them. Like you said, there's a certain amount of admiration that happens. And so there's a certain amount of like, not just admiration. If we're following Jesus, somebody is going to go, man, I'm compelled by your life. And it's hard for somebody to be compelled by somebody else's life in a way that reflects Jesus. I'll just throw that little caveat in there. In a way that reflects Jesus because they don't see it, right? If all they see is all the things that the world admires and those things are like, oh, I want to be like that. But it's like, well, that has nothing to do necessarily with me following Jesus. It's that that vulnerability and authenticity that draws people and go, I, you're going through a hard time and I don't understand why you're not acting like this. Tell me more about that. That's that compelling piece where the gender goes away because somebody else is saying, I'm compelled by what, what you, what you're saying, how you're acting, how you're living. So, um, and to me, that's the strength of just 12. I mean, that's the piece that I go, man, if we could just build those kind of relationships with it, because you can't build that many you can't build deep relational connection with, you know, 72 people, uh, right. 500 people, a thousand people. It's hard to do it with 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to take a lifetime befriending. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love the word befriending too. Like friendship for a lifetime. Like that's the kind of thing I want to sign up for. Now, will it change maybe because of context and people move and things happen? Yeah, sure. That could change. But I go, man, Jesus befriended these three guys, uh, these 12, these 12 men for, for three years, but if you add up the relational time, like we don't have that kind of relational time anymore. You know, that's, we live in a different world, a different context. It will take a lifetime for me Mm -hmm. to pour into somebody to prioritize other people's lives the way Jesus did. It will take me a lifetime. And that also like, I don't know, it gives me like a little bit of like relief off my shoulders of like, Oh, I, maybe I can be friends with somebody. Maybe that can happen. Right. Maybe that's a way I can actually have a posture of discipling. So mm-hmm. uh, it, while we're talking, any other words popped pop in your mind that we go, oh, we got to think about that or we got to consider that? Yeah, I mean, I think we hit the main ones. Like I said, yeah. it, discipleship is so hard to because we don't have any comparable words in, in today's context. So I, I think, like I said, there is sort of a, a teaching and instructional piece that comes, you know, with coaching and mentoring, but there's also that, um, that twofold, that relational focus as well. So I think, I think the words that we came up with, I think those are probably what the first thing that come to mind yeah. for me. But like I said, I mean, this is just a raw conversation too. So I'm yeah. even trying to think of, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying anything else but um no i think it i think it's a matter of maybe not necessarily finding a single word but trying to pull all these different strategies together Um, i think that's what you know and and we learn from and we can also learn from different people too because we have different people in our lives who you know we admire them as a mentor or as a coach Mm -hmm. or as a friend um and we can take little pieces from each of those types of relationships because you know none of us are going to be able to encapsulate what jesus did you know 
perfectly by any means. We're going yeah. to be imperfect. And, you know, and it's even worth mentioning too, like there's, there's spiritual gifts, you know, all of us yeah. have all, each of every one of us uh, who are, you know, followers of Christ, we have different gifts given by the Holy Spirit. So there are some things that we naturally gravitate towards that we may find that we are better suited towards than some of these other aspects of discipleship. We're yeah. While you just said that, when you said Holy Spirit, it reminded me there is another relational dynamic that many of us are familiar with that I think hits on an aspect of what it means to be discipling, which is counselor. Mm. Um, now, whether you want to call it therapist, but like maybe not in that, you know, mm. not in a uh, vocational standpoint, but as an action to counsel somebody, to guide somebody. Uh, and that probably fits a little bit with, you know, teaching, mentoring, coaching. Mm -hmm. But there is that. In, in when I said coaching, you're like, I was thinking the Holy Spirit's my coach. Like, that's yeah. that counselor piece. And that we do see Jesus counseling and guiding in that way. So not that we would interchange those words, but man, we can learn a lot from people who are well-versed in tools and skills of counseling to help us understand how to disciple well. And and my hope for the next, you know, five, six, eight, I don't know how many more episodes we'll do, is to kind of go down each of those paths a little bit and say, not that this word's going to replace discipling, but boy, we have some really strong contextual relational dynamics that we can learn from. And so let's have a conversation with somebody who's a great coach from a discipleship standpoint, somebody who's a great parent from a discipleship standpoint, a great mentor, and just kind of go down those paths. With, and like you said, they're probably spiritually gifted in many of those ways, or at least have a spiritual gift that leans into those things. Um, and we can listen to them and go, oh, man, that's that's a way I want to help someone in my 12 or all of my 12. That's the posture I want to have, or that's the skill I need to gain. Uh, and maybe it's not picking and choosing per se, but it's saying, yeah, there's just little, it's not a Venn diagram. I don't want to do like a Venn diagram of like mentor, coach, apprentice, parent, and like, what's the combination? But it's like, no, there's a piece over here that definitely fits in what it means to be discipling. And, and there is over here too. So I'm excited for those next couple of conversations. Appreciate your feedback and, and thoughts and uh, wrestling with these things. Cause yep. um you know, I was so excited about coach. So it's great to hear like, well, wait a second, there's some hangups there. And so, uh, and we'll continue to, to, to wrestle some of those things. And, and probably I would say what we might encounter is after we have a couple people on that talk about discipling as a coach or discipling as a parent, we might go, hang on, hang on, time out. <laughs> Let's come back and ask some questions about that. How does that work? You know, yeah. so uh, we'll tackle those things. So awesome. Um, well, yeah. So, well, go and uh, go and coach, mentor, teach. Um, Befriend. Yeah, just do it all. Do it all. Do yeah. it all. <laughs> that, that, I guess that's the other fear, too, is like, don't we don't want people to feel like they have to do all those things to all right. those people, you know, all those relationships to be an effective um, discipler, be effective at discipling. And it's like, well, what if I could just take a little bit? And right. get a little bit better at those well, things. And we, so. did, we did see all these exercised in different contexts as well. You know, like, Good point. you know, you guys talk about in the book or the Just 12 book, how, you know, there are kind of different categories or uh, what do you guys use? The uh, deep wells, is that? Deep is wells, that, buckets. Yeah. Yeah. Buckets, deep wells. Um, so there are these different strategies that may be appropriate for one context, but maybe not necessarily yeah. for, for another. For all of them. Yeah. So, totally. Totally. Well, 
we'll keep going on this journey of having everybody be in someone's 12. And maybe if we pick up on some of these relational dynamics, we can see it come one step closer. Thanks so much, Chloe, for your time. Yeah, thank uh, you. Appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds